Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman. After a week off, we are back with Matt Daniels, the uber talent, former sub foreman at Miler turned trail runner living in Boulder, Colorado. Matt just ran and won the Gorge Waterfalls 50K, one of the most memorable race performances that I've seen in person in my entire history in the sport. He was contemplating dropping out at halfway, being as much as 12 minutes off the lead before going on to win by more than four minutes in a competitive field. It's truly an astounding anecdote from an athlete with a really rich and deep story. We talk about Matt's lifetime commitment to the beautiful sport of running. We talk about his military service and how that shaped him. We talk about his recent return from long-term injury, the value of his training partners and the recent success of the Boulder boys. We talk about anxiety related to competition, Matt's race at Gorge, the value of patience as we look ahead towards canyons in a couple of weeks and a lot more. I'm a big fan of this dude. I wanted to have him on the show for a long time. So I hope you all really enjoy our conversation. A big thank you to Speedland, the presenting sponsor of the Free Trail Podcast. I've loved seeing all the new GS Tams in my Instagram feed recently. A lot of rave reviews in my DMs from happy customers. And I'm feeling pretty grateful and pretty proud. It's finally here after so much hard work and anticipation. We are shipping the beautiful product around the world. Last week, we did a fun athlete summit in Portland and had our first glimpse at the product roadmap, which is also incredibly exciting between now and this time next year, you can expect several more very cool new products coming down the pipeline from Speedland. But for now, you should go to runspeedland.com, use code FREETRAIL10 to grab a pair of the GS Tam, my signature shoe. If you're looking for a coach, go check out Free Trail Experts. We've had an amazing start, some awesome feedback from our athletes, and we're really proud of the talented coaches that we have on the squad, specifically MK Sullivan and Hannah Allgood still have some availability for run coaching. Plus we have Matt Walsh for strength and movement, Wilfredo Benitez and Kelly Pritchett for nutrition and Danielle Snyder for some mindset work. The great thing about using Free Trail Coach is that you automatically get membership into the Free Trail Pro community and, and all the great perks inherent in that subscription. It's what makes our coaching product a little bit different, white glove coaching and a community to share your running journey with. Check out Free Trail Experts at freetrail.com or at the link in the show notes. Thanks everyone for being here. Hope you enjoy the episode. Matt Daniels, welcome to the podcast, buddy. Nice to see you. Hey, Devo. Thanks for having me. And uh, I think I speak for everybody. I like, can't tell you how much I appreciate everything you guys are doing over at uh, Free Trail. And um, yeah, so stoked to be on. It's been a long time coming, buddy. And thanks for the support. Where are, uh, where are you broadcasting now? Are you back home in Boulder after a trip to the Pacific Northwest? I am. Yep. Back in Boulder. Um, yeah, I've been hitting the trails a little bit this week. It's been beautiful weather compared to what we had out there in the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> I but, was going to uh, say, did you dry out yet? <laughs> yeah, barely. I think my shoes are still on the drying rack from the race. So, oh my goodness. Um, yeah. Yeah. Doing well though. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks for being on the show. And yeah, I uh, always am sort of like waiting for the perfect occasion for the universe to 
you know, open up and you know, have certain guests on the show. And of course, you were just coming off a fantastic victory at the Gorge 50K last weekend. So we'll talk all about that and what you have coming up beyond. But first, I'd like to start with an introspective new question with some of our guests that I've found offers a unique on-ramp to these conversations. So uh, to get things started here, Mr. Matt Daniels, what makes you, you? What makes you a unique human being on planet Earth? Gosh, yeah. I mean, that is a loaded question. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of different things. I think uh, a lot stems from uh, my family that I was brought up in and uh, my small group of friends that I I hold close. Uh, You know, the community I'm involved in, a lot of things make me me. um, But at the core of it, I'm a runner. I mean, I've I've been running since I was 11 years old. And before that, I loved loved running. And really, I mean, that, that is the core of, of my life and I, and I'm not afraid to say it. And that's something that, uh, you know, I hold close and something I love doing. And, um, it's a lot of, it's a big part of my identity too. And, um, I think running makes me who I am at the moment. <laughs> that's a kind of a powerful statement and a powerful answer that I wasn't expecting, but there's probably like kind of a sense of freedom and just acknowledging that about yourself, isn't there? I'm just like, I'm a runner, man. That's the core of my life. Yeah, definitely. I, I've, I've had a kind of a, a wild ride over the 34 years of life, but, you know, a lot of different chapters and, um, it's kind of crazy, you know, through all that, I've always just been a runner. Um, it's something I've always, you know, I've taken short hiatuses from it and I've always come back to, to being a runner. And, uh, I imagine, you know, providing I don't, um, lose my legs, I'll probably continue being a runner the rest of my life. And yeah. it's something, uh, you know, it's something I love doing. It's, it's my meditation. It's, you know, my therapy, it's everything. It's, you know, my group of friends. Um, yeah, it's just something I love doing and I imagine it'll always be that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's a a simple, but profound answer to get the conversation started. And I guess we might as well just go down this Avenue while we're here. I had your friend and training partner, Adam Mary on the podcast recently, and he sort of said the same thing about you of like, one of the things that makes, Matt Daniels unique is that he's been on this mission since he was a little kid. So maybe for those who are newer to your story, if you could sketch the arc of your history with running, going back to when you were a kid, the talents that you had coming up to now where you're such a force on the trails. Yeah. Um, gosh, well, I mean, I grew up in Texas, um, and grew up kind of multi-sport playing football, baseball, you know, if you don't play football in Texas, who are you? So I, I kind of did it all. Um, but I found at a really young age, I just really enjoyed running long distances. And, you know, at the time, long distances was half mile, mile, um, that sort of thing. And yeah, always entered field day, did the distance run and always had success. And I think the natural progression is just like, okay, you get into junior high school and high school and you join the cross country team. And um, I think, you know, when you find success in something at that age, it kind of becomes a little bit of your identity at the time. And um, all my friends were, you know, going off and playing Friday night under the lights and football. And, and it was a big thing at my high school. And, um, I, you know, I was the one skipping out on the football games and waking up early for the cross country meet Saturday mornings and, um, kind of found a really cool friend group within that and just carried on. I think, uh, you know, had a lot of success in track and, um, went, went to college for it and just kind of continued to progress uh, up the distances after graduating college and all that, you know, there's a lot in between all that we could talk about later in the podcast, but, um, yeah, again, always just kind of found, 
I enjoyed being out on, on the, on the roads or the trails. And, um, that was kind of my safe place and I yeah. uh, just stuck with it. <laughs> Can you give the audience a sense of your pedigree? I know with, at the risk <laughs> of bragging about yourself, I mean, I know you're a sub four miler, but I mean, obviously this has been a core part of your life and there's been a lot of achievements along the way before you made your way into the trail world. What were some of those highlights? Yeah, I think early on, um, kind of getting my start in, in the summer track series with USATF and that sort of thing and going to some national championships for age group, you know, when I was like 11 or 12 years old, uh, that really is what kind of lit the fire. And then, um, from there, um, you know, um, going to state in high school and then, uh, of course in college, um, I think I actually never won nationals as an individual, but was able to be a 13 time all American between uh, cross country and track and, um, and then, yeah, post-collegially, or actually in college, broke four minutes for the mile. I think ran th 1330s for 5K. And um, then post-college was able to qualify for the Olympic trials in the marathon and ran that. And then, uh, yeah, and then got suckered into to being a trail runner and ran the U.S. Mountain Champs and made my first world team right after the Olympic trials in 2016. And that's what kicked off my, uh, my trail running career. Dude, I, I remember that. Talk more yeah. about that because you were a newer name uh, on the scene at that point. I think you were living in Colorado, but like you had been living in Hawaii or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I just noticed the results and wondered who the heck is this fellow <laughs> tall guy who just made the team <laughs> on the mountain running championships. And that sort of happened to be your gateway drug into the wild world of trail running. Yeah, it's actually a really cool story. So in 2016, I was uh, training with this group uh, called Hudson Elite here in Boulder. It was a road running group. Um, and Addie Bracey, uh, who's a fellow trail runner, she was on the team as well. And um, we had just finished our kind of road racing season at the Olympic trials in 2016. This is February. And in March, we showed up to our first practice back uh, after taking a little break from from running and, uh, Hayden Hawks was there. He was in town and he was looking at groups to join. And, um, on that day, Andy Wacker, who's a, also another trail runner, yeah. uh, sub ultra guy, um, came to that workout and, uh, ran with us after, like after the workout was done, we were all cooling down. And Andy said to Hayden and I, Hey, why don't you guys just get off the, off the roads and come join me this summer for the, um, U S mountain running champs. And, Hayden and I looked at each other. I was like, no way. Like, you know, we're road runners. And, and then he convinced us over the 30 minute cool down. And so, uh, entered the U S mountain running champs. I convinced Addie, Addie Bracey was actually thinking about retiring, convinced her to come out with us to loon mountain. And we all went out there for our first, uh, trail race and all, all three of, or actually all four of us qualified for the world team that year. And, um, after that, I remember we all were sitting around and it was like, well, I guess, I guess we're trail runners now. And it kind of, uh, revamped Addie and I's career. And then Hayden was, you know, of course, like the next week one speed goat and <laughs> was all in too. So it was kind of a, a cool weekend. And then we all went and ran the world championships and, uh, we actually won the, our, the first USA gold medal in the world mountain running championships that year. So, uh, it was kind of a cool start into trail running. <laughs> Dude, what a story. I had no yeah. idea. That's like one of the great untold stories of the past <laughs> generation of trail running. Three superstars now and household names in this current era of the sport were all sort of at an inflection point in their careers and happened to be, uh, yeah, with through peer pressure, it sounds like, <laughs> yeah. to Loon Mountain and all make the mountain running team and take home a, a gold medal. Was that sort of an inflection point in your career? Were you sort of of looking for new beginnings as you were sort of transitioning like in longer distances doing the Olympic trials? Were you trail curious at that time? 
Yeah, a little bit. I, I think I was just really burned out on the whole road running scene at the time. Um, it was kind of an interesting, I thought it was a miler and a 5k runner and Brad Hudson, my coach at the time had me just go jump into the San Jose half marathon as kind of a workout long run with some other guys on the team. And I ended up qualifying for the Olympic trials in and kind of progressed my journey to longer distances. So what really does fast. that mean? You ran like 64? Uh, 6340, I think was, is what I ran that, that day. Oh, and then, okay. um, yeah. And so I was like, well, I guess I'm going to run the marathon now. And of course I wasn't, you know, I wasn't fully ready. It happened really fast and the marathon trials were terrible. And I was like, just really burned out from training and road running. And so, um, the idea, you know, all it took was Andy Wacker, uh, planting the seed in our head. And I think Addie Bracey was kind of in the same boat. I was, you know, she's a little bit burned out on everything. And, um, yeah, and Hayden didn't even give road running a chance. He just jumped right in as soon as we made the world team. So thank goodness. Yeah, I man. think that moment, <laughs> that moment there was um, definitely the starting point, you know, to a future in this sport. And uh, it was also kind of right. I feel like right when trail running, um, especially the ultra scene, which I hadn't gotten into yet, was really starting to kind of take off. I was in the running industry working at, at Boulder Running Company, and I, we were starting to see it happen in Boulder. You know, everybody was coming in wanting the same shoes. You know that Anton was wearing. And, you know, it's just like the this, um, popularity of the sport was really starting to grow. And I was getting excited about that too. So you had sort of yeah. a front row seat noticing the interest increase among the general running population via your employment at the Boulder Running Company? Yeah, definitely so. I mean, I, I can remember I was working the day Jim took the wrong turn and we were all following Twitter. And uh, I remember thinking like, I, I told, uh, I don't know, if, you know, Cordis, Paul, um, he runs for Adidas course hall and he was working with me at at the store. I remember telling him, I was like, I'm going to be the first sub four minute miler to to run one of these hundreds, you know, and I didn't know if anybody had or not just kind of throwing it out there and we got super excited following Jim. And, um, yeah, I didn't know, you know, what that was going to look like and how much time it was going to take to get to that point. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of, um, all in that same time frame right there. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that because I still hear all the time when you go to the running event or like outdoor retailer show that now trail running is such a big part of that global commercial event, you know, sort of like trade show circuit now. And obviously also for people who work in specialty run stores, I'm sure it's the same where at least subjectively you feel the momentum behind the sport and probably living in Boulder at that time, it was especially concentrated. So, um, you mentioned briefly your Texas roots and I posted a shout out to your guys's little Boulder training crew on Twitter the other day. And somebody corrected me pointing out that you may live in Boulder, but you are a native Texan. So maybe round out that story for us. How did you end up in Boulder and maybe what from your Texas roots still sticks with you? Yeah. Oh gosh. Um, well, first of all, the thing that sticks with me probably from my Texas roots is, um, I have a huge, huge fascination with horse racing. And, uh, that's something when I'm done running at a really high level, it's probably something I'm going to get into. I've always been into since I was a kid. So that's probably about the only thing I have in common with anything to do with Texas. these days. What but, do you, what do you um, mean? You, like you, you just like watching it and like learning yeah, about it? watching it, following it. Um, I, I, I was very involved with it when I was a kid. My, uh, grandparents had, um, some race horses and just, uh, spent all my time as a kid, like in the, in the barns. And I always wanted to be a jockey, 
I was obsessed with the racing aspect of it, but you know, I grew to be six foot two. So that I'm still probably light enough, but I grew to, you know, be a little bit too tall to be a jockey. And ever since then, just been hooked, you know, I spend most of the summers at the racetrack when I'm not training and, um, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> That's so interesting. I had no idea about that. I, I'm, uh, you know, I watch the Kentucky Derby and the Belmont, et cetera, when I catch them throughout the summer. But I know that's a, also a powerful subculture of people who are completely insane about, uh, <laughs> you know, the, the sport and the training and the horses and you know, all that goes into it. So that's, that's really interesting. Yeah. Go, going back to your, your Texas roots, sort of, how did you end up? I, cause I think there was that brief interlude where you were in Hawaii too. So yeah, catch us up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of a, um, kind of a long story, but I guess, uh, I'll shorten it as much as I can. Um, yeah. So I left Texas, um, 2006 is when I graduated high school, went to university of Oklahoma, was there for all, but a semester and absolutely hated it. I just didn't want to be in college. It was just kind of, you know, an 18 year old that was lost and didn't want to do anything but run. Right. And so I, uh, I dropped out after a semester and, um, moved to Fayetteville, Arkansas. I was going to run for coach McDonald at university of Arkansas, but never got released from the university of Oklahoma. So I just spent about a year and a half living in Fayetteville training with, um, some guys like Alster Craig, you know, all the pros that were living in Fayetteville. And that was a great time. Learned a lot from coach McDonald, um, who's just a legend in our sport. And, um, yeah, spent some time there. And then when coach McDonald announced he was going to retire, I decided, okay, I didn't, I didn't want to go to the university of Arkansas anymore. So I moved out to Albuquerque, lived in Albuquerque for probably about a year on some friends' couches, um, ran like the, the USA road running circuit, just kind of like as this 19 year old kid, not knowing what's going on, 19, 20 years old, um, did my best, you know, I ran, I think the USA 20 K champs, USA 5 K champs. And then, uh, got really burned out and actually tore my hamstring and, uh, had no money. So I was like, well, I guess I'm moving back into the parents' house. So back to Texas, I went and while I was, you know, in Texas, I wasn't running cause I was injured and I was just kind of hitting a new low, you know, had no money living with my parents. I'm about yeah. to be 21. It's like, what do I do? Uh, I guess I'll join the military. And so that's when I, um, joined the Navy and was in the Navy for a short period of time before, uh, we got, once I got out there and went back to college, used my, uh, GI bill and went to, um, uh, Adam state in Southern Colorado. And that's what brought me out to Colorado. Um, and then from there I moved to Boulder for a training group. And then once I met my wife, we moved out to Hawaii for a bit and then moved back to Boulder. And so I've kind of been all over the place in the last like 15 years, I guess. (laughs) Goodness, man. Well, it's good for building character. I would really love to hang out on the subject of military service because on your blog, which I was just telling you before we press record, I'm a big fan of and that you need to continue publishing on. You wrote a sort of simultaneously heartwarming and heartbreaking tribute to your time in the military. So it sounds like when you enlisted, it was another pivotal moment in your life where you were maybe feeling lost. So maybe talk about what inspired military service and how that was a, a big part of your life for a while. Yeah, I um like I said, you know, I was kind of at a um, a point in life where it's like, well, you know, what do I do? Do I go get a regular job? I don't, you know, had, didn't have a degree. And at the time it was the economy had just tanked. So there really weren't any jobs. Um, and so, yeah, really the only thing to do to make a living and travel, I knew I wanted to travel, um, was to join the military. And it was so hard to get in the military at the time. Cause so many people were trying to get in because the economy was so bad that there was like, 
um, I could either go into the Navy, um, who needed people at the time because of everything that was going on in like with North Korea and South Korea and all that. And then, or I could join the Marine Corps and go straight to Afghanistan. And I knew I wanted to do a little bit more traveling than go straight to Afghanistan. So join the Navy. Um, yeah. And spent, spent some time there. I was on a ship, uh, in Yokosuka, Japan. And, um, yeah, I was a boatswain's mate. Uh, I kind of graduated through everything really quickly. Um, got a lot of qualifications as a master helmsman. So spent most of my time driving, driving the ship. Uh, we were forward deployed. So a lot of time out in the Pacific. Um, yeah. And then, uh, kind of ran into some like difficult times while I was in, uh, you know, Navy life is already kind of difficult as is, you know, you're not, you're not in one place for a very long time. You're stuck inside a boat, you know, in the middle of the ocean. And so you, you kind of get stuck in your head and I wasn't able to run much, you know, if anything, I was more or less smoking pack or two of cigarettes a week or a day. Um, and then drinking like a fish at every port we go to. And so mm. that was tough. Uh, and then probably about eight months in to my service on the ship, uh, I found my, my friend, he had committed suicide. He'd, he'd hung himself and, um, I found him on the ship and, uh, it was just kind of a really, really low point for me. And, um, yeah, it was, difficult time. I haven't really spoken about it publicly too much. Um, but I, I think I'm finally kind of getting to a place in life where, um, you know, it's okay to talk about these things and, yeah. and, uh, reflect a little bit on it and how that shaped the future. But, um, yeah, from there, uh, ran into a lot more, um, kind of downtimes in the Navy, I guess things that I'm not super comfortable talking about just yet publicly, but, um, you know, catch me in the, decent moon and maybe we'll be able to sometime, but go for a um, long run sometime. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I'll write a book one day when, you when I can, but, um, yeah, it was just a series of events over the course of probably like really only eight or nine months, like just really condensed in a lot of life-changing events that happened and, um, was able to get out of the military early with honorable discharge and had all, you know, got all the benefits and everything. And, um, and with the option to reenlist after like going through basically therapy for a certain amount of time. Um, and I decided once I got out, uh, actually the first day I was on land off the ship, I, I went for a run and, uh, it was like the first run I did in a year and a half. And, uh, it just felt so good. I bought a pair of like cheap Saucony Ken bars or something at the, um, at the store on, on base there. And, went for a run and it just felt so good. And then I was hooked again. I was like, Oh, I guess I'm going to try and make a comeback. And so <laughs> I remember, uh, just trying to get back in shape. And then I got back to Texas when I got out of the military and was just so, so out of shape and still smoking. I couldn't, you know, I had a hard time kicking the cigarettes and, and the drinking and, um, yeah. And then that led to a phone call from the Adam state coach and me going to Colorado. So Damn. kind of a really condensed year and a half, two years in the military. Um, but a lot happened and, uh, again, it kind of helped me find running again, I guess. <laughs> Man, you have such a rich story and I don't think it's uncommon for people who serve to have conflicting emotions about it. How do mm -hmm. you feel about your time in the military now with some perspective? Yeah, I think, I mean, I'm obviously very thankful for it too. Um, it's hard not to be a little bit bitter about some of the things that happened and, and you know, when I signed up, I didn't technically sign up for, for the things that happened, although I knew it was a possibility and it was something that, you know, it's the risk you take when you join the military, you know, um, there's a lot of risks you take. And 
I guess, you know, I was young and naive and just thinking like I was going to get to travel the world and drink at all these cool pubs and all across the world and like, you know, just being a typical idiot. And um, I think it helped me grow up a lot. Uh, And it also, I I learned a lot in terms of, you know, just kind of what real work ethic was, um, what sticking to certain things, what, you know, required. And um, yeah, I guess at the end of the day, I grew up really quickly and, and that made the biggest difference. And Um, and I think it just helped me, uh, it helps me now. I can reflect back on it when I'm, uh, you know, in the hurt locker in a race, I I can kind of refer back to some of the things I went through and, you know, it's nothing compared to that. I think Jim talks a lot about that too. Jim kind of had a, a very similar experience. I mean, we, we've talked a little bit briefly about it, um, over the years, but, uh, yeah, I think that military experience definitely has helped fuel the fire for our ultra running and, um, I'm thankful for that at least. <laughs> I think a lot of people experience the same thing, athletes or not, that they're confronted for the first time with what hard work and sacrifice and contributing to a greater good actually means. Mm-hmm. And those things are all wonderful values. But yeah, obviously we don't need to go into any detail, but I'm sure there was some experiences that you'd love to forget from your military career as well. And all us who haven't served can do is, you know, say thank you for your service because we'll never understand. So I appreciate you sharing yeah. that part of your story. And uh, yeah, maybe sometime we'll, we'll talk in more detail on a on a long run. But um, yeah, I would encourage folks to, to go back and read your post about Veterans Day from last year, which I'll link in the show notes for those who want to go a little bit deeper. This episode is brought to you by HVMN and their Ketone IQ Supplement. Ketones are important macronutrients with clinically studied benefits for increasing energy and focus throughout the day. Ketone IQ is brain fuel, naturally increasing your blood ketone levels in just a simple, handy two ounce shot. The perfect thing to throw down the hatch whenever you need an extra boost, either in your training or in your daily life. My wife Harmony and I have become really enamored with this product, honestly, between running our business business, my increasing training load and being parents, we've been operating at full capacity for a long time. I had specifically become overly reliant on caffeine throughout the day until I started taking this product. And I have to say it has really helped me to feel more focused and energized. And especially in my training, I have been having a ketone IQ shot in the mornings before all my long runs. And it really does help me feel steady energy for hours on end, even when the baby has kept me up at night. This stuff has evidently become really popular in cycling and is just now being discovered by runners. So go check it out. You won't be disappointed. Visit hvmn.com. Look up the ketone IQ. Use code freetrail20 for 20% off. hvmn.com. Use code freetrail20. So eventually you did make a little bit of a comeback and I don't know, maybe we can fast forward a little bit. I talked to your buddy Adam Mary today and one of the things he suggested we talk about is, you know, sort of the last couple of years for you, which I know have also been sort of fraught with turmoil in some ways. Mm. You've moved from Boulder to Monument and back to Boulder. So maybe I'll just open up some space for you to talk about the last couple of years, what's been tough about it, what did you learn? Yeah. Oh man, I think it's kind of crazy and I feel bad talking about it being tough because it's kind of tough on everybody. The The pandemic just <laughs> kind of threw a wrench in everybody's plans, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think uh, what made it extra tough for me was I was going through kind of an injury that was um, possibly going to end my running career. And 
And that was hard to um, kind of sit on, especially because when it happened, I was kind of at the top of my running career. Um, but yeah, so in, in 2019, I had just run Western States. Uh, I was fourth at States and feeling really good, kind of um, excited to get back and get on the start line and try and go for a W at Western States in 2020. Um, and during that time, uh, my wife and I, uh, she, she had just quit her teaching job and started real estate. And I had just quit working at a running shoe store and was coaching. And so we had no money. It was like, like, what are we doing living in Boulder? You know, it's like, we got to find somewhere else to live. And so, um, we moved down South to Monument. It was a little bit cheaper, found a really cool, cool place there. Um, kind of in the mountains on a lake, but, uh, it was affordable and, um, bought our first home, lived there. And, um, I guess we weren't there. So that was probably April, 2020. Um, and then right about just as the probably, world shuts down. Yeah. Just as everything yeah. shut down. Cause I remember when we drove there, there was no traffic on the highway. It took us like 45 minutes to get there. Now it's like an hour and a half, you know? And yeah, so, right. um, yeah, just as everything shut down, we were out there and, uh, I quickly realized I had no training partners out there. You know, I didn't know the trails. Um, I was starting to get this weird pain in my heel, uh, that I didn't know what it was. And so, uh, and then, yeah, both of our careers were starting to, um, they were, they were new, so they were starting to take off, but it was also a lot of uncertainty with the pandemic. Um, and so, yeah, I think, um, what was it maybe right at the beginning or right at the end of 2020, um, I, I was basically sidelined. My heel just did not get any better. Um, tried getting a cortisone shot in it. Nothing was, was working. Um, and then found out, uh, after a while. So I kept running through 20, trying to run through 2021. And basically I was running like maybe once a week, once every other week, that sort of thing. And, uh, long story short, had surgery on the heel, found out I had a really bad staph infection. Um, and the staph hmm. infection just kept, so it wasn't um, like kept a, coming back. It wasn't so. like a Haglin's or an Achilles thing. It was a staph. Yeah. Infection. So I, we think that, um, so I had, we think it was originally bursitis and then I got a cortisone shot in the bursa. And, uh, to, to get me like through Western States to try and, I was wow. going to try and train through that to run that in 2020. And, um, and then, yeah, or I guess I was going to 2021. Uh, and then, uh, it's the foot swelled up on me after the cortisone shot. I didn't get any better. It actually got a lot worse. Oh. And then I started seeing a red streak going up as a like, great, I have an infection. We think maybe it was from the cortisone shot. Not too sure. Yeah. You know, it was, um, one of those things is like, we don't know what caused it or what happened, but um, yeah, when they went in to open me up, they, they found the Achilles was torn, um, quite a bit, the bursa needed to be removed. And then I had a really bad staph infection. I had sounds kind of gross, but it had eaten away at a lot of the tissue and, um, was kind of like affecting the bone and the heel. And so they were a little bit worried, like, um, you know, if this doesn't get under control, then you're going to have to come in for another surgery, uh, or like doesn't get any better. We may have to like amputate because it was got to the point to where the staph infection came back and I was in and out of the hospital with, uh, like IV antibiotics and that sort of thing. And, yeah. um, basically it was just, it was that way for the better part of like a year and a half. Uh, and then finally the last round of antibiotics I was on, uh, cleared up the infection, but I still had a hole in the back of my heel. And so I was able to start running again exactly a year ago, basically from today, <laughs> like I started running again. And, um, uh, yeah, but I saw this big hole in the back of my heel. And so I had to like, keep it bandaged up, make sure, you know, staph infection didn't come back and that sort of thing. And, um, in that time we'd moved back to Boulder, 
Uh, and so things were starting to look up, you know, we moved back in April, I started running again in April. I was like, all right, we're back, you know? And, yeah. and so, um, we ran yeah, together uh, around this time and we did yep. a little yeah. dirty, dirty Bismarck loop with you and the Boulder boys. And I recall you, right. were, you had some of your Nike trail runners on and you had like the whole back half of the shoe basically cut <laughs> off with sort of a MacGyvered lacing system. So it would stay on your foot. I was like, man, this guy is committed, but was there any doubt ever? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure when they, when there was even a conversation about potential amputation, that's sort of a horrifying moment, especially for a lifelong runner who finds his peace and joy in the outdoors moving under his own power. Was there ever any doubt that you were going to come back? You called it sort of a career threatening injury. Was it feeling yeah. that way for a while? Yeah. I was just worried because I kind of get these glimpses of like, Oh, I can run again or it feels good. It, you know, I don't feel it too bad when I'm walking now. So maybe I'll be able to run again. And so I kept like, I would get excited. And then, and then like two days later, it would get, to, it was so debilitating. I couldn't even put weight on my foot. So it was one of those injuries that was just, it kind of tricked you for literally two years. And the, there's just so many highs and lows throughout. It literally felt like running an ultra where it's like, you know, you're just feeling amazing. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get behind on calories and you're just tanking. And it was like that literally the whole pandemic and not just because of the pandemic, but because the injury, because I wasn't super happy with where we were living. Like yeah. it was just crazy, uh, crazy time. And, um, yeah, it was hard to stay motivated. And I was like, at one, at one point I was like, okay, I'm done running. Like I was trying to build up my coaching business as big as I could get it. So I could like have something to fall back on because I wasn't prepared just to be done running. Yeah. Um, and that actually came back to bite me too. That, I mean, we can talk about that a little bit as well, but it was just like, I grew this business so rapidly and so big that it just like took over my whole life. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it, it was just, it was one of those things that, you know, you see these big time, like football athletes that, you know, think, you know, they're going to be playing football the rest of their lives. And then all of a sudden it's over and what do they do sort yep. of thing. And that's kind of where I was at. I was just like really worried about what was next. Um, but yeah, it turns out I get to still run for a little while longer. <laughs> Talk about the, I don't know if maybe you feel returning to Boulder was healing in its own way and the importance of home base and feeling settled at, and at peace where you are and how that may open up the opportunity for your body to physically heal. It's something that I've thought about a yeah. lot as somebody who's also bounced around frequently. Definitely. Yeah, I think so. There's something to definitely be said about um, kind of being where you're most uh, happy and comfortable is, is very healing. Like for me, a big, the big thing about moving back to Boulder was I'm going to be back in my, kind of my community. You know, my closest friends are, are there. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just comforting. And, and when you have a support crew around you, uh, every day, it life's a lot easier and that that's in all aspects of life, but especially in running, you know, especially you spend so much time in your own, you know, in your own head out by yourself. It's, it's nice to have that, that crew around you. And, um, that was a big reason for moving back. And I think that definitely sped up, um, the healing process too. I mean, within like just, you know, uh, a few months of being able to run again, I felt like I was already back in better shape than I was in 2019. It was just kind of a crazy, um, whirlwind of positivity, I guess that, that, that hit me as soon as we moved back to Boulder. And, and that's been the, the, the best part of it all is kind of being back here, being with my community, being with my boys, you know, going out on, my, on the runs. Um, yeah, I think uh, you got to experience a little bit of it when, when you came out and ran with us and that was really cool. But uh, yeah, I think 
that's probably uh, been the key to it all. Yeah. Well, what a great opportunity to talk about the Boulder Boys now because you guys have been on an absolute roll. Again, I had Adam Mary on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and we talked about he and Seth finishing first and second at Chuck and not since then you've taken home the victory, the gorge 50 K drew Holman just a couple days ago, taking home a big yeah. W at Lake Sonoma. So maybe go a little bit deeper on that core crew and what value it's brought into your life. Oh yeah. I mean, it's really cool. So I think from the outside, a lot of people just see, you know, the Boulder boys and think it's just like a training group and, uh, they're just out there hammering out the miles and getting fit. And in reality, I mean, there is that, but in reality, it's our little group is forged from just an amazing friendship. And, um, that was something, you know, we've all, we're all runners and we all get to run together, but, um, our friendship is something that's kind of special and it's, it's kind of a support group for each other. And, um, I think, you know, even if we weren't all running, we'd still be getting together every week for dinners and sharing a bottle of wine, that sort of thing. And, um, it just helps when you have a group of close friends that are there for the support and the positivity and, um, just a reminder of like, Hey, like, you know, you're Drew Holman, like you're capable of doing amazing, you know, amazing things. Like don't doubt yourself. I know you haven't run for the last two months because you've been crazy busy with work, but you're Drew Holman. And it's like, okay, now he can go into Sonoma with, with that in his back pocket, knowing like these other three guys believe in him, And, and that's, that's powerful. And it was the same thing you know, going into Gorge. I mean, I went on a run with them the week before Gorge and I was starting to like wonder if I still had it. You know, I had a DNF at Havelina in October and I was just like, man, maybe I'm just like, I can come out here and run with you guys, but I don't know if I have it to race. And, you know, they all gave me the the reassurance that, you know, I'm, I'm still who I am and who I was. And, you know, we all see it when we're training together and, um, that's, that's super powerful. And I think, uh, that's, probably the core of it all is, is that we're kind of there for each other in a way that, um, normal training partners, uh, around the country probably aren't as, you know, as close to each other in that sort of aspect. I love that dude. And like I told you, I talked to Adam Mary this afternoon and he brought this specific thing up about how you made a point to say to him before Chuck and I, dude, you can win this race. And that it was something that he kept in his back pocket and gave him, just that little bit of extra confidence of like, no, dude, I actually can do this. And that he had to remind you before Gorge the same yep. <laughs> exact thing. And we'll get around to talking about Gorge here in a little bit. But I don't know. I think oftentimes we do get a lot of confidence just by training with other good athletes. But mm -hmm. if you do have that explicit endorsement from people who you know and respect and who know what the hell they're talking about of like, dude, you're freaking on fire right now. Because before you came to Gorge, Adam Mary said, look out <laughs> for Matt Daniels. The dude is crazy fit right now. <laughs> and just like, I don't know, even just like doing the workouts or whatever together, there's confidence that comes from that. But when you have your buddies who know what the hell they're talking about, tell you, Hey man, you've got it. That definitely gives you a little something extra, doesn't it? Yeah, definitely. And I think, one thing is we all try and keep it as real as possible with each other too, you know? And, and, uh, so it, it makes it even that much more affirming when, when you do get the encouragement from each other, it's like, Oh, he means it, you know, like he actually means what he's talking about. He's not just saying this to, you know, get us excited about a race or, or whatever. It's like he sees it. And so, uh, we've kind of, you know, made a pact with each other that we're always going to keep it real, but we're always going to be there for each other too. And it's, uh, yeah, it's been a huge part of, of our group and kind of the success we've had over the last few weeks and hopefully moving forward. Yeah. Awesome. 
So Matt, one of the things that I'd love to talk to you about in just me passively, subjectively observing your career is just sort of the variance in performance, because there's no question that when you're on, you're like one of the most talented, best dudes in the world. But it feels to me subjectively again, that like sometimes you get down on yourself and that it impacts your performance. So uh, first of all, I don't know if that, how that feedback lands. I don't want you to take it as criticism, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. but you know, it's just, you know, I, I think it's, it's important to just sort of have these honest conversations. And I think, you know, me as somebody who's been in that seat also, who's, you know, can, who's been down on myself and doubted myself and whatever, I think the audience would love to, to hear you sort of talk through that sort of like, in what ways you have learned over the years, how to kind of be there for yourself and back yourself on a sort of physical and emotional level so that you can perform so that your natural talent can rise to the surface. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate it. I mean, you're exactly on point with that uh, assessment too. I think uh, it's something I, I definitely uh, realize and actually been uh, kind of questioning lately too. I, because, uh, yeah, I think a lot of it just comes from, uh, for me specifically kind of it's anxiety driven, um, with racing. I'm, I'm very passionate about this sport. Uh, I don't want to say it's everything in my life. Cause I have a lot of things in life that are very important to me, but, um, running is a very important part of my life. And so, uh, when it's not going well, or, um, for instance, in a race, I'm not where I want to be or feeling as good as I, I want to feel I'm human. And so I, and I'm very passionate about running. So it's like, I, I kind of start kind of getting into this low point. And for me, it's especially in ultras I'm, and I'm learning every year, it's hard to come out of. Uh, mm -hmm. And one thing I think I learned at Gorge specifically was, Hey, these races are long enough that you can come out of this. You don't need to come up with an excuse for a DNF. Uh, and some of the DNFs I've had, have, there's just no way, you know, I could have finished and it would have been a good thing and would have been healthy. But yeah, I'll, you know, it's something I continuously working on. Uh, and I think a lot of, you know, my, a lot of my running career, the races were a lot shorter. And so you can kind of always feel that finish line. And so if things aren't going well, um, you know, it's just going to be over in a minute. With ultra running, when things aren't going well, you got to stick it out or you just or you just bail. And it's kind of like life in general. Like when things aren't going well, are you going to stick it out and keep, and keep going and hope, you know, things will turn around eventually, or are you just going to bail? And I think bailing is kind of the coward way out. A lot of people, you know, that's a touchy subject, I guess. And, but when we're talking running and racing specifically, um, yeah, it's really easy in an ultra race to try and look for those excuses. And when race performances are anxiety driven like that, it's, an easy thing to fall back on. And, and that's something I've had to really work hard on. I mean, at Gorge specifically, I was, I literally got halfway and I told Bailey who was crewing me, I was like, I'm about to just drop out or jog it in. And she said, jog it in. And I was like, okay. And so I was like, I'm finishing this thing. And then lo and behold, things turn around and, you know, it's like, Oh, that's what happens. You know? Yes. So I think, yeah, it's, and it's hard though, when you're running a hundred miles or a hundred K and you're like, like, yeah, I can stick this out, but man, that is like eight more hours of running, you know? And so, um, but that's what makes ultra running, ultra running. It makes it so special. And, um, it's, it's kind of a shame that it's taken me this long to, to really, um, realize that and kind of like 
honor it, I guess. Um, you know, that's the sport, that's part of it. And, um, yeah, it's something I'm going to continue to work on. And I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm hoping I'm not always going to be that guy that's kind of inconsistent. Like I'm, I'm either really on or I'm really off. Uh, but, uh, if that's the way it goes, you know, it's the way it goes. Most people will always no, remember dude. the, the no. on days. So. <laughs> no, dude, Gorge is a breakthrough for you. I think I sure hope so. <laughs> and I mean, there is a time and a place to bail for all of us, right? It's a, you know, it's, it's a matter of like making sure that it doesn't become habit. Right. Right. And I actually, I pulled a quote out of one of your blogs. Again, I would encourage people to go check out your website and I'll link to it in the show notes. But one of the things you said about JFK from last year was I came off the JFK 50 miler motivated and excited for the future. Not because I raced well, it actually was a terrible race, but because I finished the damn thing. I dug deep to find something that had been lost with my running for a long while. The ability to continue on when super uncomfortable. Funny how that is such a metaphor for life. So (laughs) yeah, I mean, obviously like when you race at the front, it's a high risk, high reward game, Mm -hmm. but you know, if you play your cards right and you stick with it and you're patient with yourself when you are navigating a little bit of a low point, my God, dude, you're Matt Daniels and you can freaking smash it. So one of the, one of the other things I thought that was interesting from your blog was you mentioning that you had sort of made a determination that you wanted to race more in 2023. Mm -hmm. I wondered if those two things were, were maybe connected and going back to what you said about how racing is sometimes sort of like an anxiety inducing phenomenon for you. Mm -hmm. Like is, was that a reflection racing more of just like maybe reducing the importance of each individual race by increasing the volume of them? Yeah. You know, I think I was, uh, I mean, really last the end of last year, I was kind of throwing a lot of things at the wall to try and figure out, um, how to kind of get back on track. I think the two years with the injury, like trying to race and then not being able to finish things and just feeling like crap all the time, uh, really got to me. And so, um, I think probably, I guess most of it was kind of like trying to think probably the best way to put this. I think, um, by racing a lot, it's kind of like taking advantage of being healthy and being in a position that I'm in, uh, at this time and to not take, take it for granted that I should be able to go out and race right now. I guess, um, in the past I've like chosen races and maybe done two or three big races in a year. And then maybe a couple other shorter races. And I regret not like really going for it and taking risks. And now I'm like, I'm about to be 35 here this month. And it's like, now it's time to take some risks and run the, if I want to run these races, I'm going to go run them and have fun doing it. And, um, you know, I guess I'm healthy. So it's like, I'm just going to go experience this and, and do everything I've wanted to do now. And, um, you know, that, that may mean that not every race is going to be great, but, um, I think getting the experience and going out there and having fun doing what I love doing and that's being in the culture and around everybody and, um, getting in and, you know, getting gritty in some of these races. And, uh, yeah, I think I'm just going to kind of go for it and and see what sticks, I guess. Um, but yeah, uh, it's a lot easier to say that when you're healthy, (laughs) I guess is what I'm getting to. (laughs) I thought it was like a pretty important and potentially counterintuitive thing that also felt right to me and just the passive observer of your career of just like, huh, like actually maybe that is exactly what Matt needs is just like, cause you can mix it up at 
any distance, you know, you could go qualify for the mountain running team again, even though you're almost 35, you could also, you know, win canyons and Western States coming up, you know, and obviously not to put any pressure on you. Like (laughs) maybe, maybe the right thing is for you to use that lean into that as your thing is like, no, I'm like, I can do any of this stuff. And by having that well-rounded skill set and that huge range that you have, maybe that helps you to reduce some of the anxiety around it and take some of the pressure off each performance, which may help you perform even better. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. I definitely think that's probably what it kind of boils down to. And, you know, it's a good way of putting it. And it's, uh, it's hard to reflect, you know, self-reflect on that. Um, it's, it really helps kind of hearing you say it that way. Cause, uh, I think that is kind of what it boils down to and why I did come up with that decision. So yeah, that's really cool. Good. So let's talk about your training a little bit. I was perusing your Strava and just like Adam Mary, you guys have been putting in the work through what has been a tough winter in Boulder. So maybe just give the audience a general sense of your training leading up to Gorge, adding whatever detail you can about volume and intensity and how you've been thinking about things from a macro level. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess after CCC this past year, I I made a decision to kind of, uh, cut out a lot of things in life, um, that were kind of distracting to running. I kind of basically just said, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go all in. Um, I've always wanted to go all in. I'm a professional runner. I'm going to do it. I'm going to be a professional runner right now and, and just see what happens. And, uh, lo and behold, I love it. I love the lifestyle. I love, you know, just, sitting around waiting for the next training run, you know, I'm like looking at the watch right now and I'm thinking like, Oh, I can't wait to get out the door for my second run today. And so <laughs> I think, um, you know, so by eliminating a lot of things that eliminated a lot of stress and it was, I was, I'm able to like recover a lot better, um, spend more time, you know, hanging out, relaxing, eating more calories, um, spending time with my wife, you know, I'm not, I'm not, there's not a lot of wasted space, I guess now. And so I'm able to put that into training and, um, it's paid off. I think so far, you know, we still have a lot of training to go and a lot of racing to go, but, um, yeah, I was able to kind of increase my mileage, um, in terms of workouts and intensity, I've really focused on listening to my body a lot more than I used to. Um, so basically, you know, if I wake up on a Tuesday morning, I'm not ready to do a workout, I'll push it to the next day, or maybe I won't even do it at all this week. It'll be like, okay, I need, need to put in some volume or something like that. And so really owning in on how my body's feeling. Um, you know, what's going to be beneficial for not only the race coming up, but, uh, the big races I have planned, you know, three or four or five months down the road. And so really thinking long-term with every day. Uh, and I know, you know, it's part of the reason like going into gorge, um, I, I didn't really back off too much. I think the week of the race, I still had around 90 or 95 miles, which, um, in six days, which for me, uh, was a big increase compared to what I had been doing. And I think I got up to 130 before that. And so, um, the whole point of that was thinking long-term about the the races I want to do well in later on in the year. And, um, the work that, you know, the work I need to do needs to be done now to, you know, to, to run really well then. And so, um, yeah, it's been a lot of just listening to body slowly increasing the volume, uh, you know, you running more, you're going to get better at running. And so, um, with that comes a lot of, a lot of recovery and a lot of calorie intake and that sort of thing too, but it, it's been fun. It's the lifestyle I love living. So, yeah, I would encourage folks to go check out your Strava. I'll link to that in the show notes also. But And we'll get to this in a little bit. But you did just train straight through Gorge, which I was admiring on your Strava profile just before we got on this Zoom call. 
Pre-Trail Podcast is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition, the first brand to believe in our fledgling operation. Gnarly makes the best nutrition products on the market for outdoor and mountain sport athletes, top to bottom. Everything is first class, much like the people that work for the company. You've heard me talk about the Fuel 2O drink mix, the BCAAs, the Performance Greens. Well, today I wanna tell you about the Gnarly Hydrate Electrolyte Mix. Harmony, my wife, will tell you I am obnoxious and annoying about hydration. I suspect most athletes walk around at least moderately dehydrated day to day. And I think improving hydration status is the simplest thing that you can do to improve your performance. Of course, improving hydration is not just about drinking more water. You also need minerals and electrolytes, which the gnarly hydration mix has in spades. Loaded with electrolytes and B vitamins, Gnarly Hydrate has everything you need to keep your muscles and brain fully engaged to power through your time on the trails and in your daily life. As usual, you can get 15% off your purchase of Gnarly Hydrate and any of their other amazing products by visiting gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15. Back to the show. So let's move to Gorge now. What a bizarre day for you <laughs> and what an awesome story. So maybe just paint the broad strokes of how it played out, emphasizing the huge mental and emotional turnaround you experienced in the second half. Oh gosh, I man, I've run a lot of races in my running career and that was hands down the most wildest, bizarre race I've ever done. I, I can't even like after the race, I was just like, how did that, how did that even happen? I, I like, I couldn't even explain it to myself or on the phone with my wife after the race. And, um, but yeah, you know, for those that was watching, it was, uh, really, really muddy. And the 50 K was the last of, of the races in the weekend. And, and there was a ton of rain on Saturday during the hundred K. And so the course was just an absolute mess. It was that kind of mud where you put your foot down and you're just sliding, you know? And yeah. so, um, for anybody who knows and runs with me in Boulder, they know like slick conditions is like, I'm the worst runner in slick conditions. Like nothing. I need like, you know, two inch spikes on my shoe to, to get around the trails here in Boulder when it's icy or muddy or anything like it's embarrassing. And so, um, and Adam always jokes, like, he's like, Oh, I hope canyons is it's snowy and icy. That way I got one up on you. You know, it's like, <laughs> uh, it's, it's so bad. But anyways, I, the whole first, um, well, really the first like 22 miles, I just, I couldn't go anywhere. I was just like sliding back for every step forward. I don't know what was going on. I was like a, a baby deer, on, you know, just standing up for the first time. And, and because of that, I got really down on myself again and the anxiety started setting in. Like, what am I doing out here? I'm in sixth right now. Like, you know, I had high expectations to go in there and feel easy and hopefully try and like compete for a podium spot. And I was at 1.12 minutes off the lead. I was looking at Strava and it was just like, man, what am I doing? Like, was it 12 minutes? At one 12 point? minutes. Yeah. No way. Off of Dylan. Wow. And then, um, yeah. And then I, uh, I don't know. I, I got to, so at one point my shoe got stuck in the mud and came off. So I like had to find, like dig it out of the mud and like retie it back on. And so I started walking and that was like right before 15 miles. And then, like I said, I got to the aid station about halfway and, uh, um, Bailey, um, was crewing me. She's another runner at Nike here. And, uh, she won the, um, 30 K yep. and she, she was crewing me. And I told her, I was like, I'm, I'm going to jog it in. She just kind of, you know, really didn't say much. And I started jogging out of the aid station and walked up that hill right out of the aid station and walked her along, along the top of that for a bit. And then I was like, 
okay, start running. I know there's some pavement up here. You can kind of run for a little bit and started running. And then I got to the Cascade Locks Aid Station, which, uh, forgetting what mile that was, but like what is that? Maybe, yeah, 20. Yeah. Um, and, uh, Zach Marion was filming and he filmed me coming into the aid station and I was like about to stop at the aid station and drop out. And then I was like, no, just put your head down and just keep running until he like peels off and then you can stop and do whatever you want to do. And so kept running and it started going uphill. And as soon as he peeled off, I stopped and started leaning against a tree. And I was just like, starting to like, I wasn't feeling bad. I, I was literally asking myself like, what is wrong with you? Like, are yeah. you injured? No. Is this hard? No. Like what is going on? Like start running. And so I just took down the gel and then I just took off. And, uh, I think it was like probably from there, eight miles to the finish. And, um, at that point I was about to be passed for sixth. Um, so Clint Anders had just passed me. So I was in fifth and sixth place was coming right when I started jogging again. And then, uh, yeah, I started running up and Dakota was coming back. I think he was having a rough day and talked to him for a minute and whatever he said, just kind of was a little bit of encouragement. Um, you know, Dakota's such a positive guy. And that's the cool thing about our sport is like, and he did the same thing for me at Havelina too. Like the guy's just a class act, but, yeah, he is. um, yep. yeah, he said a few things and, uh, yeah, I just kind of put my head down and started, started Sprinting. to run hard and yeah. And then when I came back, um, I noticed I was really far back. I, so, and I looked again on Strava, um, Dylan, who was leading at the time was eight minutes or seven minutes and 45 seconds up on me at the turnaround. And so once I hit the turnaround, I just booked it as hard as I could down. And, uh, when I was coming down, Dakota's like, Hey, they're not that far. Like you can get them. And I, I don't remember what I said, but it was just like tunnel vision. Let's go. Couldn't explain it. And, um, just felt amazing. I felt like I could have run another 15 miles at that pace. It was insane. I like it. I, I, I imagine, I don't know, like, you know, you see some of these like crazy doped up superstars on the track circuit and it's like, <laughs> man, is this what it feels like to be on EPO? Cause this is insane. Like it was just so weird. Uh, can't explain it. It was just one of those days where everything finally started clicking again. It was just really late in the race and yeah, it turned out all right. <laughs> yeah. You posted afterwards, ultra running has a weird way of being. And yesterday was an awesome example of what to do in a race that goes sideways. Be patient. Yep. And if I was a sports psychologist and I'm not, nor do I have any qualifications, I would tell you to make that your mantra for running. Yeah. Season and it's beyond. funny you, you, you say patient. that. You have all the talent, you have all the drive, all the commitment, all the knowledge you need to be one of the world's best. I think sometimes you just need to be patient with yourself. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. It's, I was going to say, it's funny you said that because the first run Adam and I did when I got back to Boulder, that was I mean, word for word, exactly what you just said is what he, he told me. And so it's just like, okay, there's something to this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, my, again, just like it was my armchair psychology here, but my, my feeling is just like, you felt like, man, I'm not good on this mud. Those guys are too far ahead. Like this is a waste of time. This is stupid. When really you were fucking fit. And when you, <laughs> when you hit the terrain, that was a little drier that suited you a little bit yeah. better, like that fitness just shown through and that you weren't actually feeling shitty. You know, you didn't have a, a, uh, you weren't low on calories. You weren't dehydrated. You were just like feeling down on yourself and you got to just yeah. be patient in that moment. Wait for that terrain to turn around because then that's your opportunity to swing. And you did, man. And it was so cool to see. I actually went back. I was looking at your Strava today. You closed. Your final mile was a 530 mile at Gorge. 
And it's like, <laughs> that's like a rolling mile, like uphill for much of it. You were yeah. absolutely <laughs> flying. I mean, you won by, what was it? Four or five minutes at the end too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, You're I think when like we came two, out of two minutes a mile faster than everybody. Yeah, yeah, I was trying to do the math because I think we came out of Cascade Locks about thirty seconds apart. Um, me, Dylan, and Ryan, and um, I think Ryan ended up getting second. But um, yeah, I don't know. It, it's like five k from there to the finish, and I was just thinking, oh, anybody you know can run five k hard. And I knew Ryan's Ryan's got a lot of leg speed. He's I knew fast, Dylan yeah. looked a little rough, but. Uh, yeah, I was like, as soon as I get off this trail section, just send it when you hit the pavement. Yeah, it uh, paid off. <laughs> yeah, so, so cool. Yeah. And yeah, Zach had the Instagram live going too. And man, you were just moving. We were all just standing <laughs> at the finish line, like looking at our phones, just like, oh my gosh, <laughs> this guy is flying. Yeah, it was uh, a lot of fun. <laughs> so cool, man. Well, congratulations. Thanks for coming to Gorge. We were super happy to have you. And it was great to see you have that that huge comeback and that big turnaround. And I hope it's a massive learning experience for you as we look ahead towards Canyon. Speaking of which, like I said, you trained straight yeah. through Gorge, <laughs> putting in a 90-mile week just last week too. So you're probably going to have to start kind of tapering here pretty soon as we look ahead towards Canyons. But maybe just describe what the next couple weeks look like in terms of training and what you're looking forward to at the Canyons 100K. Yeah, yeah. So last week was a lot of just kind of like listening to the body and giving it what it needed after after gorge, which um, I actually felt really good. I I didn't uh, I had no muscle soreness or anything, which was a miracle. I think it was the first ultra I've done where my legs felt fine after. Um, but I had a little bit of fatigue just from like I went and spent the day at the Nike campus afterwards and a lot of walking around and socializing and that sort of thing. And then of course we had the after party after the race at, at Gorge. And so I, I think some of that caught up to me a little bit late in the week last week, but, um, yeah, I was able to, uh, have a good run Sunday, did a 25 miler that felt, felt good, nice and relaxed. And, um, hoping this week is a little bit of a, um, higher volume week. Uh, we'll see like in terms of intensity and stuff. I know for me, like at a hundred K distance, I just need to be ready to go all day. I don't necessarily need to be any faster. And so, a lot of it's, um, trying to stay healthy make sure nothing pops up between now and then. And, um, and then, yeah, I'll probably do your, your typical, uh, kind of light taper week, two weeks out and then more of a taper week, the week going in. But I, I, I don't know. I think I don't, I don't really respond too well to hard tapers. So, um, a lot of it's just, I'm literally going to take it day by day and just kind of yeah. give the body what it wants. If that's uh 15 mile run, it's 15. If it's four, it's four. We'll just kind of play it by ear. I don't want to, uh, make it too complicated. I think. <laughs> well, be patient, bro. You've got, yeah. you've got the fitness. So just rest in that confidence and, you know, don't go overboard because obviously, you know, with canyons, there is the big carrot at the end of the stick of that being a golden ticket back to Western States where you finished fourth in 2019, an incredible mm-hmm. performance there under 16 hours. And I'm sure I know you're hungry to get back, but I want you to be patient. Know that, uh, yeah. <laughs> know that it's, it's coming and you don't need to force it. Uh, Matt, dude, so fun to chit chat with you. Um, before we get to sort of the closing philosophical questions, is there anything else that you have on your mind right now? Things that are exciting to you inside or outside of the sport that you want to get off your chest? Oh gosh. I mean, inside the sport, it's just, it's so cool to see, see the growth happening. I mean, I think this is talked about a lot in our little circle, but it's just, it's so cool to see and be a part of. And, um, I think being out at the gorge this last weekend was just a perfect example of 
how cool our, our whole community is. And just, I don't know, the, the whole setup with the three, three days of racing was just really, really neat. And I, I don't know, it was like find a better event in the world. I don't know. I had such a good time at Gorge and I just want to thank you so much for that. It was, it was awesome. Um, and yeah, I mean, other than that, uh, yeah, our, just our, our little, uh, group out here, we're just all training and try and, uh, have a good fun spring and summer of racing and keep it going. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have anything else. I yeah. think I'm just excited for the future of the sport. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming out to Gorge and we're bumping it back two weeks next year. So it's going to oh, be, nice. it's going to be dry. It's going to be sunny. We're going to be, you know, shirtless at the, on the big green <laughs> lawn, just sort of like welcoming all the finishers in as they enjoyed a beautiful spring day out on the trails rather than the winter deluge that we had for three days but <laughs> yeah miraculously everybody loved their experience at gores this year i'm still completely exhausted i don't know if i'll ever recover from it but man what a joy and again yeah. so glad to have you there so matt yeah. closing questions for you here who is one person that you admire inside or outside of sport living or dead and why is it that you admire that person yeah i think um I'm going to have to say my, my coach that I had at Adam state, Damon Martin, um, the guy is just a world-class guy. Uh, he took a, a chance on me when I was probably at one of the lowest points in my life and brought the life back out of me and, uh, got me back in, you know, into running and really loving running. And, uh, he just, he has a way of keeping young men and women motivated in, in times of their life where, you know, maybe the first time they're away from their parents in college or, you know, he, he has everybody super excited to chase something big and, and that's something I'll always cherish and, um, hold, hold on to the rest of my running career and through life with whatever that, that is. And I think, uh, yeah, I owe a lot to him because of that. And so I say I admire him probably more than, more than most people. <laughs> Coach Martin. Yeah. Adam state is a, is a great program for those who don't know. It's sort of in the middle of nowhere, Southern Colorado and <laughs> puts out beasts like Matt Daniels closing question for you, sir. What is one truth that you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your participation in sport going back to when you were 11 years old? <laughs> um, take risks. I think that's the biggest thing is, uh, you don't get anywhere in life, um, or have any sort of success without taking a little bit of a risk and in, in anything. And I think, uh, yeah, it's important. Like you anybody can trace anything they've done any sort of uh big event in life and it usually goes back to taking some sort of risk and i think um when you're ever wondering whether to do something or not just do it and uh make up for it afterwards if it turns out not good and uh, it's it's going to be worth in the long run <laughs> i love it dude did you are you an mma guy or are you a ufc guy my brother-in-law is he watches it a lot which in turn has had me watching a few of the, the matches and, or is that what you call it? Matches yeah, yeah, <laughs> on, yeah. on television and stuff. So the reason uh, don't I follow ask, it closely. The reason I ask is because there's a big title fight. I didn't watch it, but I was just like watching clips after the fact over the weekend where style bender Israel Adesanya, who's this crazy talented young fighter who's lost to this. He's like almost undefeated, but he's lost to the same guy three times. They oh. fought again. And, and is he finally won? And in the post, yes. <laughs> in the post race, or I'm sorry, the post fight interview in the cage, you know, Joe Rogan hands him the mic and he says something to the effect of, I wish everybody in the world could at one time in their life feel just how happy I am right now. 
but he made a point of saying, you will never feel this level of happiness if you don't go for something in your life. And I think that's a brilliant, brilliant way of you sort of bringing the conversation to the close, sort of emphasizing the same values of take risks, go for something in your life so that you can experience that feeling. Matt Daniels, thanks so much for coming on the podcast, buddy. We'll see you at Canyons. Yes, thank you so much. Thanks so much to Matt. What a good dude. I hope you all enjoyed it. Make sure you go follow him online. I link to Matt's Instagram, his Strava, and his blog in the show notes, all of which are well worth a follow. So go give Matt some love on the internet. Drop him a DM saying good luck and be patient ahead of the Canyons 100K. Free Trail Pro members, let me know what you thought of the episode. Jump in the Slack and share your feedback with your boy. The Free Trail Podcast Slack channel is a great place to do so. If you're not a member, you should be. Join more than 700 passionate trail people who are ready to greet you in the Free Trail Slack group. It's such a powerful, awesome digital community and experience. It's only $10 a month or $96 for the year, and there is a free trial. So come check it out. A big thank you to our sponsors, Speedland. Run speedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the GS TAM. Gnarly Nutrition. Go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off those great nutrition products. And HVMN. Use FREETRAIL20 for 20% off this really interesting ketone supplement product. Thank you so much, everybody, for being here. See you again very soon. Until then, love you dearly. Bye-bye.